Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. leftist media in this country. And what they are spewing are, are abject lies. Abject lies. You know, you know what, what, what the left wants you to believe via the media, their media, the Democratic Party media in this country, is that their regressive policies that they continue to brand as progressive are popular. That you and I our opinions as conservative, freedom-loving, constitutional, abiding, lawful Americans who love this country, that we are in the minority. That is That could not be further from the truth. I actually think that there is a movement underway. I think that the country right now, America, is more conservative than it has been since the Reagan era. I believe that. I believe that. And I believe that that continued to be true. Under the Trump years, I believe that Trump actually grew the conservative movement in America. Now, you, you can say, Drew, well, look at the 2020 election. You know, we lost. Well, look, we have to put this in context every time. We have to discuss the unprecedented nature of the 2020 election. Not just the fact that we were lied to, that our country was shut down, that COVID was used to drive fear into the hearts and minds and souls of the American people, that, that Trump was made out to be like Hitler. I mean, for, I mean, you don't need to forget it, but you have to put it in context. Mail-in ballots, unsolicited mail-in ballots that paved the way for Joe Biden's election. We cannot ignore it. Now, I understand there's nothing that's going to be done about it now, right? I mean, Joe Biden is a quote-unquote president. But, but it's important to have the discussion because I didn't have time to get in this last time. But look, the J6 committee, I've said this before, and I want to make this point again because I think it's huge. If Joe Biden won the 2020 election fair and square, if they were so confident in the unpopularity of Donald Trump, they would be begging him to run again in 2024. But instead, all their efforts have been towards what? Disqualifying Trump ensuring that he can never challenge them again. How does that square with their claims that Donald Trump is Hitler and not popular, that they won fair and square? As I've said, they should be begging for Trump to run again because they beat him so handily, because he's so unpopular. But that's not what the J6 committee is about. It's about disqualifying Trump from running again. Now, if these people, the Democrats, the Democratic Party, are so confident in the unpopularity of Donald Trump, they wouldn't be going through any of these motions to destroy him, to ensure that he can't challenge them again. And remember this key phrase from the contested 2020 election. Every vote counts, the Democrats said. And the Republicans counter, no, every legal vote counts. But they always said every vote counts. Now look at what's going on with the border crisis, the unprecedented truly in history 
In the history of America, the unprecedented waves and levels of illegal immigration into this country facilitated, facilitated by the Biden administration. I've got a story, by the way. I mean, it is so out of control. The, the, the Mexican government is giving out visas, visas, 90-day visas to individuals invading Mexico who are traveling to America. They are helping to encourage and facilitate the invasion into America. Mexico is doing that. Now, Trump would say and condemn Mexico, you know, remain in Mexico policy, all this. I mean, he would threaten them and make sure that they were not facilitating this. But the Mexican government is sitting here giving out 90-day visas, not work visas, illegal traveling visas. Here, we want to encourage you to travel through Mexico because, look, you won't be considered illegal in Mexico. We're going to give you a visa for 90 days. So you have 90 days upon coming from Guatemala or wherever you're coming from to, to be legal in Mexico as you make your way across the border. So this, this bypasses even the coyotes and, uh, and all those sorts of things that are used and utilized to smuggle people into the country. Mexico is saying, no, no, we're just going to hand out visas to you to the migrant caravans traveling through Mexico to the United States. We're going to facilitate and encourage your transfer to the United States. And so the, the Biden Justice Department, the Department of Justice, Injustice, it should be called, under the Biden administration, well, they're suing Arizona. Do you know why? Well, uh, Arizona passed a law uh, that requires... Um, people to prove citizenship, to vote in federal elections. So you have to give a birth certificate, a copy of a passport, a copy of naturalization documents to show that you're an American citizen to vote. And they passed this law in March, and it was signed into to law, I, I believe, that month as well by, by Governor Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. And he said election integrity means counting every lawful vote and prohibiting any attempt to illegally cast a vote. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with requiring proof of citizenship? No problem at all. But the Democrats are up in arms by this. Why? Because they want illegals to vote. They can't win elections without illegal Immigrants casting votes. And the Democrats are saying this act precludes any state requirement that an applicant seeking to register register to vote using a federal form also submit proof of citizenship. They're saying it's unconstitutional. Have you heard anything so crazy? They say this violates the Civil Rights Act. What? And so there's a, there's a Democrat representative congressman out of Arizona. His name's Ruben Gallego. So he's one of these lawmakers that's speaking out in support of the lawsuit against Arizona's law requiring proof of citizenship. He says it's wrong to force Arizonans to jump through hoops to vote. And Arizona Republicans are betting on the radical right-wing Supreme Court to uphold these new laws. Glad to see the Justice Department file suit to protect the rights of Arizona voters. 
Arizona voters' rights are not being protected when you allow illegals to vote. That obviously violates our sovereignty as states, as a nation. And so anyway, on July 5th, he sued Arizona, President Joe Biden, his DOJ, over this. And um, again, this is just proof that the Democratic Party is, is very nervous. I mean, on the one hand, they're unrealistic and out of touch, but they understand that they can't win. Their policies are not popular in America. And the, the Democrats want to dump Joe. They want to dump Joe. They just have to figure out a way to do it without destroying the party. And they don't have a deep bench. They didn't have a deep bench in, in 2020. I mean, Biden, they believed in 2020 was their best hope for running and winning. That's how bad it was out of everyone. Joe Biden. And what do they do? You know, the, the reason they went with him was because they knew it was an acknowledgement that their radical leftist policies weren't popular because their whole reason for getting Joe Biden and getting behind him was because he had a history. You know, he was he was this elder statesman, right? Moderate Joe, lunch bucket Joe. And they've only gotten more radical since then. And so they're not popular and they're not going to win. So they're suing states that are requiring voters to provide proof of citizenship. But anyway, that's the tip of the iceberg there. So Kalama Harris, to follow up, she did go and visit Highland Park, Illinois, the scene of the latest mass shooting. And her speech is what you would expect. I'm going to play it for you. You ready for this? Here's Kamala Harris. So sorry for what you all have experienced and the pain, the suffering. Um, this should never have happened. We talk about it being senseless. It is senseless. It is absolutely senseless. we got to be smarter as a country in terms of who has access to what, and in particular assault weapons. And... Um, we got to take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are, because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. I mean, what a brilliant vice president. I mean, not since Joe Biden has there been a dumber vice president in America. We got to take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are, because you have been forced to take this seriously. That's what she says. It's a word salad. She goes on to say the whole nation should understand and have a level of empathy to understand that this could happen anywhere to any people in any community. And we should stand together and speak out about why it's got to stop. She said in her speech. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, she is not going to be the presidential contender, certainly. In 2024. Joe Biden's not going to be it. And, and what you're going to see is a steady drip from the media, the leftist media. You know, there are, we're already seeing it. Obviously, they're putting his poll numbers out there as being low. And they're trying to build a case that's just, you know, inevitable that, you know, look, we, we just, sorry, Joe, thank you for your service, but we've got to go with somebody else, you know, for the good of the country, for the good of the Democratic Party. But uh, we've got to take this stuff seriously, seriously as you are, because you've been forced to take this seriously. 
I mean, I know, I know kindergartners who can speak more eloquently than Kamala Harris. But that's what happens when, you know, you give people opportunities based on uh, their ethnicity, uh, being the first of this and that. You know, there's no meritocracy in the Democratic Party, so it's no surprise. They just have radical ideologues. I mean, I, I don't know what Kamala Harris stands for. I don't think she does, but that's the problem with the whole Democratic Party. Whatever whatever they're told to do, they'll do. I mean, these are not competent people that are the face of the Democratic Party. They're just carrying out the marching orders. I mean, this sound like does this sound like a woman who's passionate, who cares about what happened there? No, she's going through the steps because she's told to go through the steps. I've never seen anything like this in which a president and vice president um, have no leadership prospects, capabilities whatsoever. I mean, they are figureheads, plain and simple. That's it. But anyway, she's she's out there, you know, promoting this lie from the left, you know, that we have to seize uh, law-abiding American citizens' guns. But it gets worse. Uh, we, we know more about this killer now. He was on the, I told you yesterday, uh, he was on the, the police's radar. Uh, as a matter of fact, this goes back to September of 2019. This is even before the lockdowns, of course. This is before, you know, uh, he was he was unemployed at, at Panera, living in the, the back apartment of his father's house. Now, now, from what I can gather now, his, his father and mother are not together, this killer. Apparently, the mother's a, an absolute lunatic. But um, the, 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 the home that he was living behind in that separate apartment on the property, well, well his, his brother was living with his uncle. So here you have another story of a, a broken home. But back in September of 2019, a clear and present danger report uh, was received by the the ISP, and the report was related to threats that the future killer made against his own family. Illinois State Police issued this in a statement. So back in September 2019, police actually showed up at the Cremo home. And they asked the future killer if he was interested in harming himself. And the future killer, Cremo, said no. The officers took his collection of knives. And then what happened? His father, Bob Cremo, intervened, uh, said that the knives were his, not his son's, and they were returned to the home. No arrests were made. And the family wasn't willing to move forward on a complaint, nor did they provide any information on threats of mental health that would have allowed the law enforcement to to take additional action. This is the failure of the red flag laws. The family wasn't willing to formally move forward with a complaint, and so they just moved on from this. But they show police, I mean, have the police showed up to your house to investigate whether you're a harm to society or yourself? No. No, as, as they probably should not. But it was so bad and so apparent with this, this, this kid, Cremo, the killer, 
that police actually went to his house, took knives, and then his Bob, his father Bob vouched for him and had the knives returned. That's not fatherhood. That's not a role model. That's somebody who's covering for his insane son, his lunatic son, who's not getting him the help he needs. But it gets worse. Three months after this incident, with the police showing up at the home, uh, the future killer was able to get a firearm owner's identification card, which was sponsored by Bob Cremo, his father, because the suspect was under 21 years old. So the father had to actually sponsor him to get him a fire owner's, firearm owner's identification card. And so, anyway, no, no red flag laws were set off. They didn't have a sufficient basis to establish a clear and present danger and denied the application. And so then, this future killer went on to clear four background checks. He purchased firearms on June 9th, 2020, on July 18th, 2020, July 31st, 2020, and on September 20th, 2021. And the only criminal charge on this killer's record before this mass shooting took place was for possession of tobacco in 2016. But we learn more and more about this kid's family. They were not good parents. You know, banning guns is not going to solve the problem. Good parenting could have prevented all of this. So as a matter of fact, we've learned that the killer's father, Bobby Cremo, um, well, they were always last to pick him up from his after-school sports program. That's what the, the killer's former coach told Fox News. And he's quoted saying, I remember the parents more than him because they were kind of a problem. Uh, the coach's name's Jeremy uh, Kahneman. He ran the after-school sports program at Lincoln Elementary School. And he observed there wasn't a lot of love in that family. And so this goes back to when the kid, the, the future killer, well, the now killer, he was 9 or 10. goes back to when he was 9 or 10 years old when he was enrolled in Jeremy Kahneman's Nerf football program. And he, and he said every week the Cremos were the last kids there. And they'd have to call the parents to pick them up. They forgot the kids. They were late to pick them up every time. These parents weren't interested in their kids' children's lives. They weren't there for them. They weren't paying attention to them. They were always the last. Not only were they last, they had to be called to pick up their kids. So there you go. There you go. I mean, we've got, this goes back to my point again. We have a masculinity crisis in America. We have absentee fathers, mothers also in this case, it sounds like. And we have, 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 have parents out there who, well, yeah, I mean, they shouldn't have children. But they're not willing to accept the responsibility that comes with that. And that's what happened here. That's what happened. You know, I, I went on a uh, retreat many years ago 
It was a Christian retreat. I am a Christian, although I don't talk about my faith too frequently on this uh, program. Uh, but, 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 but between that retreat and different rehabs I've gone through for loved ones that were dealing with addiction, you know, I learned something important, and that is that even the best parents, right, even the best parents out there, uh, we are all are sinners, we're all failures in the eyes of God, and we're all striving to, to be better. But even though we strive to be the best parents we can be, we fall short. And the truth is that the, the problems that we inherit as young men and women that follow us into, our, into adulthood, well, those stem from our parents. Oftentimes for the son, it stems from the father. More oftentimes than not, it stems from the mother when it comes to daughters. But we are impacted by that. What we don't get from our parents, it shapes who we are. And we have to face that, confront it, not blame our parents for any shortcomings because we're going to have shortcomings as well because none of us are perfect. But we have to acknowledge it, be forgiving. You know, you have to look in the mirror, acknowledge your shortcomings in order to overcome them. But this goes with the whole concept of people that don't hold themselves accountable anymore. There's no sense of personal responsibility. People, people don't want to grow. They don't want to accept their shortcomings. They want to ignore them completely. And this was a failure of parents, a failure of the, the community, a failure of, of police, a failure of, of all of it that led to this horrific mass shooting in the end, which happens time and time again. And no gun law is going to prevent that. We have to do better as a society to look inward at ourselves, and make a commitment to create a healthier community, to create healthier family environments, to provide opportunities to people, hope, to teach and instill morality in our children, in our country, so that this type of thing does not happen so frequently. But banning guns wouldn't solve this. The red flag laws in, in place failed to prevent it. We have laws on the books for this. Murder is illegal. Why would somebody break that law? You think that somebody who's willing to break the law and commit murder isn't going to be willing to break a law and obtain a gun illegally? Why is this so hard for people to comprehend? Because people don't want to have hard discussions. They want to just make it go away with a snap of a finger. They don't want to acknowledge that we contributed to part of this problem. You know, there's a, um, a great saying that, I, 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 that comes to mind right now. And it goes back to where we are as a society today. As the greatest generation passes away, as the last of them uh, are living their last years with us, well, there's a saying that hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. Well, we've never had it so good, despite the media and the left in this country telling us that we've never had it so bad. But we've inherited good times because of the sacrifices of strong men that came before us. And unfortunately... It's produced weak men who have created the very hard times we're experiencing and facing today. 
You know, there was a World War II veteran, Marine veteran. I don't think I got a chance to talk about this the other day, but he just celebrated his 100th birthday before July 4th. Uh, His name was Carl Sperlin Deckel, still alive, 100th birthday, World War II Marine veteran. Well, he, he observed, made observations about the world he's living in today. And he said, we haven't got the country we had when I was raised. Not at all. He observed that the things we did, his generation, World War II generation, the things we did and the things we fought for and the boys that died for it, it's all gone down the drain. Well, it's gone down the drain because these good times have made weak men. And we have got to confront that and reverse the damage that's been done because hard times are ahead. And look, we've had hard times throughout our history. That's not new. But what is new is that I feel and believe that we are ill-prepared to confront these hard times because we don't have strong men. And so we've got to make strong men. We've got to become strong men. Now, I speak as a man. This goes for women too, but I'm a man. So I'm saying we've got to We've got to fix this by becoming strong men ourselves to confront what's ahead. All right. Um, so he, Brian Deese, who's the White House director of the National Economic Council, he was on CNN the other day and and. He was asked, I'm not going to play the audio, I'm just going to keep going here because I'm on a tear. This is Drew Thomas Allen, host of the Drew Allen Show, the Millennial Minister of Truth. So anyway, this guy, this Obama, uh, this uh, <laughs> this Biden uh, director of the National Economic Council, who's on CNN, and he was asked, uh, what do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. And Deese responded, uh, this is about the future of the liberal world order. And we have to stand firm until Ukraine defeats Russia. That's what Deese said. Uh, and now this was echoing what 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 Biden had said back in Madrid at the NATO summit. You know, he dismissed a similar question. He was he was uh, asked, you know, he's the, a reporter in Madrid said to Biden, the wars pushed prices up. Oil could go as high as two hundred dollars a barrel. How long is it fair to expect American drivers and drivers around the world to pay the, that premium for this war? And Biden had cold ind- indifference. He said, as long as it takes. Now, look, people are, people are getting caught up on this phrase, the liberal world order. And um, I hate to be the, the break this bad news to you, but the liberal world order is actually uh, not a bad thing. This, this Deese guy who's saying the word liberal world order, look, this isn't some Freudian slip. You know, I've got a different take on it based on uh, sound reason, judgment, and, and intellect and understanding of what that means. 
the liberal world order is not the new world order. What he's referring to, the liberal world order, is it's happened in phases in the country, but the liberal world order is basically what contributed to America becoming the, 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 the superpower in the world. The liberal world order, you know, it started in 1917, you know, World War One, World War Two. we emerged as, as, as a superpower. And then, you know, it, it went into the 90s and, and to today. The liberal world order is not the democratic world order. You know, th- th- this is the problem with the language in America. You know, we've got a lot of confusion because the Democrats bastardize the language, right? They call themselves progressive. There's nothing progressive about their policies. Their policies are regressive. They are counter to the founding fathers' vision, which was actually progressive. They're, they're counter to, you know, creating a more free and fair society. They are regressive, but they call them progressive. Now, the liberal world, world order is basically... Uh, the United States leading the charge in the global global world that we inhabit and live in, it's it's the liberal world order is about creating additional democracies in this world. It's about promoting the American ideals of liberty, of equality, you know, of, of what we have in our constitution, which is unique to America, to this day, unique to America. Now, he is using liberal world order, uh, and it's it's misleading. Misleading. So he wants to suggest that we have to continue to pay these high gas prices to, pre- to preserve the liberal world order. We're not preserving the liberal world order. We are ceding ground to China and totalitar- totalitarian regimes around the world. We ourselves are becoming a totalitarian regime. But look, they say things like, we've got to protect democracy. And, and when they say they want to protect democracy, they want, they want to destroy it, right? They are suing Arizona because they have passed laws requiring people to prove their American citizens to vote, which is the law of the land. You have to be an American citizen to vote. But they would say, you know, they are defending democracy defending voting rights by suing Arizona. That's a lie. It's backwards. And so we're not sustaining or promoting the liberal world order. That's not what's happening here. These these Democrats are globalists. And the globalists want to bring the United States of America down a peg or two or ten. They don't want us to lead the world anymore. They say it's unfair they don't want us to lead. You know, China and the, our enemies are actually adopting capitalistic principles and have been to grow their economies, and we're doing the reverse, right? We're adopting these totalitarian communist Marxist fundamentals to destroy our own country and make them more like totalitarian regimes. But nonetheless, what you can remark here is the cold indifference. Because this is all intentional. You know, they want to force this transformation to, you know, green new energy, which which is never going to happen. This is about control. I got to tell you, if you think about it, look, I live in California. We have brownouts, blackouts. We don't have enough energy. We haven't built any nuclear plants. We haven't built any new forms and sources of electricity, of energy production in, the, in this state in decades. And so there's already not enough quote-unquote electricity to power our homes 
and they want to shift us all to electric vehicles. They're going to ration electricity. Do you see where the end game is here? Look, you you know, what I try to do and bridge here is to explain why, because that's what we're all interested in. But but sometimes you don't have to understand why. I brought, brought this up before, you know, why did Ted Bundy do what Ted Bundy did, murdering all those women? It, yes, it's a point of fascination. Yes, it's psychological. Uh, yes, there's an explanation behind it. But you don't have to understand why Ted, Blunt, Ted Bundy did what he did to understand that the result was murder, that he was evil. It's the same with the Democratic Party here. What's the result? If we all abandon oil and gas... If we all go to electricity, there's not enough electricity. And windmills can't produce enough of it. And so what are we going to be left with? Shortages. Because what happens if there's shortages of food, which we're seeing happen? Unaffordability. Government control. Rationing. We don't have independence anymore. We are dependent upon the government. And there's no other option because... The sources don't exist anymore. If there are shortages of food, someone is going to have to divvy it out. We are slaves. That's why they're pushing this Green New Deal. That's why they want us to get off of oil and gas and coal and so on and so forth. Because it leads to autonomy, independence. And those who want to be tyrants can't have you be dependent. They need you dependent. That's why the welfare state is important to the Democratic Party, because they need people dependent. People who do not believe that they can achieve. People who believe they need government for their for a meal, for, for everything. That's what this has always been about. Now, this is shocking. So, as you, as you know, by the way, part of this, you know, Uh, Biden's been dipping into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Now, this was created in 1975. It was after the Arab oil embargo because, you know, people were fearful. They were angry because there were gas station lines across the country. I didn't live for it, live in it. My father did. Some of you did. Your parents certainly did. But you can see the pictures. It was it was a disaster. And so we, we, we created the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to deal with emergencies. And we have these uh, under, underground reservoirs that are the largest in the world. And they were intended to be emergency oil savings, and well, an emergency oil savings account, if you will, for an actual energy crisis that was threatening national security. But this is self-imposed, self-afflicted, self-inflicted. Because despite what the Biden administration and the media will tell you and lie to you about, the Democratic Party has gone to war against the oil and gas industry in America. And they have told these oil and gas companies that they want to move away from oil and gas in a matter of five years. So why would an oil and gas company invest the vast um, resources money, investment necessary to find new oil, drill for, for, for new oil and put it on the market when they're going to, when the, 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 the government is telling them we're going to put you out of business. 
And so Biden, you know, he was pretending, virtue signaling that he was going to do something. He was so concerned about what he'd done to America that he was going to draw, you know, what, what, uh, a million barrels a day for 180 days from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And these reserves are stored in these underground salt caverns in Texas and Louisiana, by the way. And so each barrel contains enough oil to produce 44 gallons of petroleum products. And, you know, it, it is a lot, but it's not a lot when you think about our consumption. And it really was never going to bring down the cost except by a few cents. But, you know, you may have believed that this oil was going to be just given to Americans, right? It was going to serve the American people. Well, that's not what's happened. The Biden administration... Uh, the energy department has sold millions of barrels of oil um, to foreign markets abroad. So more than 5 million barrels of oil that were part of, you know, this unprecedented U.S. reserves release ostensibly, right, to, to lower domestic fuel prices, well, they were exported to Europe and Asia last month. So they're being put on the international markets. So it does even less good than Biden was even trying to claim when you add it all up. Um... All right, I got to get into this abortion issue again for a second, all right? You know, July 4th, people weren't celebrating. I mean, the leftists out there, the people who are malcontents anyway. But, you know, they're out there, you know, Kim Kardashian, I think, and some of these other people who just don't have two brain cells to rub together, right? Talking about how, you know, we didn't have freedom anymore because of overturning Roe v. Wade. Well, what are they actually protesting? You know, they, they want to be more like Europe, right? We're so terrible. They, they say we're like the Taliban. Well, it turns out that many of these countries which are presumed to be more liberal on the subject of women's rights, they restrict abortion. Restrict abortion to, to degrees beyond what even these red states want to do that the pro-abortion activists out there are decrying and denouncing. So Mississippi and Florida, for example, they're being condemned as medieval, right? Because uh, they're going to impose 15-week bans on abortion. Well, what, what countries do Democrats love to celebrate? France, right? France. Um... Abortions due to rape, economic or social concerns, or just on demand, on request, well, they're limited to 14 weeks. And up until 2001, it was 10 weeks, then it went to 12 weeks in 2001. So before 2001, it was 10 weeks, then 12 weeks, and then this year, it went to 14 weeks. So France actually bans abortion after 14 weeks. And 
Mississippi and Florida are proposing 15-week bans on abortion. So France has more radical abortion laws than these states in America, these red states like Mississippi and Florida. But France isn't alone. Spain, Belgium, Luxembourg, they've banned abortions past 14 weeks, including pregnancy due to rape. So in Spain, Belgium, and Luxembourg, if you're raped... Uh, you still can't get an abortion past 14 weeks. And then you've got even more restrictive nations when it comes to elective abortions due to, you know, I'm poor, I don't want to have a kid right now, or whatever subjective reason you have. Well, I don't want to have a kid right now. It's too soon. It was an accident. I want to get rid of it. Social economic factor, right? So I just want to get rid of it. Well, uh, abortions banned in Brazil, uh, 10 weeks in Croatia, 12 weeks in the Czech Republic. Denmark, where they have uh, bans on guns, they also ban abortions after 12 weeks. Finland, 12 weeks. Germany, 12 weeks. Italy, 90 days. Norway, 12 weeks. Russia, 12 weeks. I mean, I can go on and on with this, but you get the point, right? No perspective. These people are are talking about slavery in America because of Roe v. Wade being overturned when even the red states that are proposing abortion laws are more liberal than the states that the Democrats want to flee to every time they don't like something in America. Just ignorance in America. You know, here I am. I feel like I'm pretty calm and cool today. Just trying to have a rational discussion about this stuff. But no, 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 no. You've got uh you've got people that are you know, they can't go to work because they're so upset. They've never had it so bad before. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. America, this we just this nation can't continue. We've got to destroy the Supreme Court, burn the country to the ground because of these abortion laws. Weak people today. Weak people. Um, well, okay, here we go. <clears throat> this is what I was, I was looking for. I'm going to close out the program with this uh, because the theme is emerging as it always does. Uh, hang tight. I just had this story. Okay. So this is actually, uh, I found it because of a libs of TikTok, right? The, uh, this female heroine out there who is not heroin, like it's sticking your arm, right? You know, hero, female version of that, um, who, who's exposed the left, right? She, she literally just holds up a mirror to the left and they can't stand it. They can't stand it. But anyway, libs of TikTok. They had a newsletter out today, and they, they reported that a queer-owned business shut down was shut down by employees for not being woke enough. You, you, see, you see, what they have unleashed on this country, uh, it, it's wholly destructive. It cannot be controlled. It cannot be controlled. And this, this story is evidence of that. It's like the French Revolution, right? You think you're safe. You know, you create all this hang, a, hatred and anger and... Revolution, well, it comes for you eventually. No one is spared. So Mina's World is this cafe in Philadelphia, and it promotes itself, prides itself on being queer-owned, 
Well, guess what? It's, it's closed its doors after a woke employee revolt. This cafe, this queer-owned cafe, was owned by Kate Egghart and Sonam Parikh. They were they're, uh, two queer activists. They started Mina's to create this inclusive coffee shop. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, their employees are now claiming that these two queer activists are anti-black and gentrifiers. Now, gentrifier, of course, has long been a, a, a woke term which they use to describe people who, you know, they're, they're intentionally, purposefully trying to displace low-income families, right? So, you know, prior to these allegations from the employees, ironically, as, this, as Libs of TikTok points out, Parikh, one of the queer owners, spoke to a Bon Appetit about the opening of Mina's World, and said that when she worked at a different coffee shop or different coffee shops, white ownership neglected to protect their black and trans employees. I knew there needed to be a space where you could have an amazingly made cup of coffee that's not white washed. Well, that was two years ago. Now, fast forward, and employees of Mina's World just put out a public statement in which they claimed that they were suffering from a plethora of systemic woes as a result of the alleged gentrification, including employer opposition and anti-blackness. Now, here's the statement. Uh, Workers at Mina's World have long been in a labor rights struggle with owners Kate and Sonam for well over a year. We are facing systemic employer opposition, manipulation, abuse of power, exploitation, anti-blackness, ableism, hostility, and complete disregard for... Jeez, it sounds like Donald Trump is running this coffee shop, does it not? Um, We're reaching out to the larger community with hopes of building power and capacity in this fight. You know, (laughs) this is the thing. A bunch of malcontents who are never satisfied never happy now these people don't have the ability to start a business uh, they're never going to employ anyone they're a bunch of victims in their own minds not content to have a job and have the freedom to choose to work in a place or not so they they, they list grievances uh, anti-blackness ableism in the form of inaccessibility etc etc <laughs> they don't elaborate uh, exploitation of labor and denial of promised wage increases, abuse of power, manipulation, all the things I said. Um, but they also demanded that the owners redistribute the business to them. Owners redistribute the business and begin the process of transforming the business into a cooperative. So these people didn't build anything. They didn't invest in it. They didn't put their own money up for it. But they are demanding that these queer business owners give them a share of the business. Held hostage. I mean, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. The irony here of these two queer owners who started a coffee shop for inclusiveness, and then these people took the attitude to the next level. Um, so they issued an apology, though. They apologized for being gentrifiers. 
they owned up to it, uh, what they were being condemned of. And this is about the weak cowards in society. These people should have said, pound sand, we're queer, you're lucky to have a job, if you don't like it, get out of here. Go start your own business if you want. But they apologized. We cannot do this in society. Our society is, and look, I don't even agree with these people. I, I guarantee you they're not in line with my political beliefs. But good for these two women, these two queer women. women. You know, that's their right. You know, they started a business. They had a vision, something they that they saw was wrong. They could employ all the queer, whatever they wanted to do. Good for them, I say. But then they fail. They fold. They fold. So anyway, now this property is listed for for sale. And so, you know, uh, cancel Dr. Seuss, cancel this coffee shop, cancel everything, you know. And, and, and look, the, the world will, will burn if people don't stand up courageously with principle and put an end to this. Put these employees in their place. These employees are out of their minds. They're nuts. And they're the product of uh, the good society, the ease with which we've had it in this country, that these people can create grievances that don't even exist to make demands. All right, this is Drew Allen. God bless you all. Until next time.